Well, we get an opportunity to listen to him now. So I'm going to invite you to kind of find your seats. And I uh, want to take your Bibles, if you will, open them and go to the book of Exodus. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around and uh, they want to give you a copy. If you don't own a Bible, uh, you could take that one. It is a gift to you. We love to study God's Word. I think we're going to see this. God is leading His people. He is he's answering the, the problems that they're facing right now. And uh, just to kind of recap, to bring you back up to speed here, uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 uh, this morning. Exodus chapter 3. Uh, God's people in this book so far are suffering. I mean, they're you want to talk about the day of trouble, that's them right here. And, and, and the cool thing that we saw last week is that God knows that, right? We saw at the end of chapter 2 that God knows what they're dealing with. He understands their suffering and, and he cares. What's even uh, more astounding and, and so encouraging that, that even though and in some ways as we're kind of going through this and we see that, that, that these people are struggling, it, it almost seems like God has been silent, like he's been absent, like he hasn't done anything about it yet. But, but we saw a couple weeks ago that he's already been at work kind of behind the scenes uh, because in chapter 2, he's preparing Moses to be the deliverer. And so uh, here, now we come to chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3. God is finally going to uh, send Moses. This is, he's commissioning him to live sent, but there's still some important lessons and encouragement that Moses needs here. If you remember, at, at first it, it seemed like Moses really wanted to be Israel's leader. I mean, he just like jumped right into social action, like a you know confident millennial coming right out of college, ready to rock the world. Like, like I'm here. I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna make a difference here. Problem is, was he didn't really wait on the Lord, and so he ends up having to learn humility the hard way. And now here in chapter three, and even in chapter four, it's gonna seem like Moses is not ready, even when God does call him to it. I think there's some encouragement here for us because the same lessons that Moses has to learn here are the same lessons and encouragement that, that we need to as we live sent. There's some parallels for application because God has commissioned you to live sent. We've been making an effort and, and really focusing our energy on that. And, and really, I think this is just the fulfillment of the Great Commission, of uh, our, the mission of our church, that we get after these things. God says to us in the Great Commission, go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go somewhere else, although sometimes God will do that and he'll uh, take you to a place that you might not have expected. But do you realize that God has already sent you right here, right now, right where you're at. And, and the question is, are you leveraging your life for the gospel? Are you, are you living in such a way that you are, you're, you're really displaying the love of Christ and, and living out and standing for the values of his kingdom right here in this community? Do people see that, that, you are, that you're really standing up and trying to protect the values of, of life and beauty and justice and love? These are the things of God's kingdom. And, and do people see that in your life? And not only do that, but, but, but do they hear you kind of opening your mouth? And are you, are you talking about Jesus with those who are lost and desperately in need of a Savior, whether that's your neighbor or your family or coworkers or the people you run into at the grocery store or the other parents at school events or whoever it is? Like, are you getting after this to live sent right where God has you? 
Now, if you're anything like me, um, then it might be true of you that there are seasons that you go through where you're a little bit more passionate and intentional about this. Yes, you know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes I'm thinking about, sometimes I'm like, you know, zoned in, like I, I want to get after this. I want to be intentional. I want to be purposeful and then sometimes not so much. So I think we need the right motivation and encouragement to really get going here and keep going. And that happens when we look up at who God is and we focus on him. And one of the things we've been learning is that the vertical worship of God propels the horizontal advancement of the mission, right? And so as we jump into this, let me give you a, a big idea of the text. Here's, here's what I think we're going to learn. Here's what we're going to see that Moses had to learn. Uh, note this. As you live sent, keep your eyes on the Lord. Okay? Moses has to learn this. Let me show it to you. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, and um, just uh, side note here, kind of seems like Jethro is the same guy that we saw back in chapter 2 who was named Ruel, all right? Uh, seems like he might have had two names. Maybe this was a title. We don't know. Seems like it's pretty, pretty clear it's the same guy. Uh, but anyway, Moses is keeping the flock of uh, his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God. Now it gets fun. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not Come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Father, I just, I love your word. I'm so thankful for it. What an awesome story this is. And I know it's something that in some ways is very familiar to us. And yet I think there's something here we need to learn about you 
And we're recognizing that, that we want to be on mission, especially during this Easter season. We're just uh, a little bit more acutely aware of the opportunities, and, and um, we want to be faithful to that. And Lord, we want to be on mission for you and for your name. Lord, we want others to come to know you and love you. And, but Lord, as we go, as we're living sin, um, we desperately need to keep our eyes on you so we don't lose the focus. There's some things here that you need to remind us. One, that you are, you're really holy. And I'm confessing this week that I don't know that I completely understand that. And I pray that you'd bring us to a deeper appreciation of your holiness and Lord, a, a deeper love for Jesus. And Lord, I, I love this promise that you're also with us. So as we're looking at this, I, I pray that you just really bring some encouragement here. And we are confessing our need for you. And I pray that you would speak to us, empower and encourage your church as we go out for your name and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, here, let me give you uh, two lessons, all right? Here's two lessons for living sent as we uh, keep our eyes on the Lord. Note this, here's one. Fear the Lord because he's holy. Fear the Lord. Now, that's a lesson that Moses is going to have to learn here. Uh, Verse 1 tells us that he's keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. You remember Moses had to run away from Egypt. Remember that? Because he he murdered one of the Egyptians and then the Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And so now here's Moses. Uh, He's a fugitive on the run turned shepherd and, and, and honestly completely unaware that God is even using that occupation to prepare him to become the shepherd for his people. Uh, but it says that he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. That, that word west side literally could be translated the back side. I've got, I've got a map here and part of the reason it would be uh, known as the, the back side is because in that culture the east would have been considered the front. And, and so you could see Midian out uh, over here on on the east, and then to the west, right there is Mount Sinai. This is the area where, where uh, Moses is at, the, the backside. Uh, in fact, it says that he came to Horeb, which actually seems clear in, in chapter uh, 19, and, and then even in Deuteronomy chapter 4, that Mount Horeb, where he's at right now, is actually the same place as Mount Sinai. Which makes a whole lot of sense why he would call this place here the mountain of God. Because it's at Mount Sinai where where God is going to give him the law. God's going to give him the Ten Commandments. I want you to think about what's happening in this moment. He is in the backside of the wilderness in the middle of nowhere. And and, and we learn elsewhere that, that Moses, this is like 40 years later after he had to run away from Egypt. He, he's about 80 years old by the time he goes to Pharaoh. And so by this time, Moses is an old man in the middle of the desert now but God is pursuing him God is coming after him and he's going to reveal himself to him he takes him on this uh, little field trip and he turns the wilderness into a seminary classroom to try to teach him some theology I love this it's so awesome but 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 he doesn't do it through lecture like I had to learn he does it through a light show you see that look look at verse 2 
Look at verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. I mean, this is one of the most iconic pictures in all the Bible, right? The burning bush. We finally got there. But, but we, as the readers, are actually told what's happening before Moses can figure out what's really going on. This fire that's in a bush, uh, the text tells us, is the angel of the Lord, or literally the messenger of the Lord. That's what's happening here. And, and who is the angel of the Lord? Well, one commentator tells us that this is, this is an appearance of the invisible God. Okay? So we can't see God and He cannot be contained in one location. He is not like us. And yet in this moment, God is showing up in the bush. And, and we know it's supernatural because uh, the thing's not burning up like like you would expect. Moses has got to be looking at this. He's thinking like, man, I, like, I must have like eaten some bad hummus or something because this should not be happening. And, and the curiosity just kind of sucks him in and God grabs his attention, right? Like, like if you've ever seen fireworks off in the distance and you're like, oh, so cool. Like, I wonder what's happening. And like, I want to get closer so I can see what's going on. That's, that's what's happening. Moses is like, I got I to gotta go check this out. Verse four, as soon as the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. So he's like, like, God's like, it's working. Like, I, I'm, I'm baiting him a little bit, trying to get his attention. And here he comes. As soon as, he, as soon as Moses comes to check it out, he calls out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And God starts to make it personal now. But, but I want you to notice something. God doesn't give him an invitation as much as a warning. You see that in verse 5? Look, look, look at what he says. Here's what he says. Do not come Near. Stop right there. Don't come any closer. Now, as I'm like reading this, I'm like, why? It seems like God is trying to attract his attention only to then tell him to not come near. Why would he do that? I think this is honestly a beautiful picture. God is drawing Moses to himself to help him see his holiness. The the. The fire here is displaying God's holy presence. And we're going to see the fire show up all over Scripture. We're going to see this in a few chapters. We'll see as God is leading his people out into the wilderness, he's leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? It's the holy presence of God going before them. And then in chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19, we're going to come back to this very spot right here where Moses is standing at Mount Sinai. And chapter 19 says that Mount Sinai is wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. So this, this fire is such a powerful picture of the holiness of God. How many, how many of you like camping? Do we have any, any people that like, most of the ladies are not raising their hand. Okay, so, so we love camping in our house. In fact, in, in, in just a few weeks, we've got a, a family camping trip. It's super fun. We, we love getting out there. But uh, one of the best parts about camping is, is you get to cook over a fire, right? You get to make hot dogs or I don't know what you cook over the fire, but s'mores, right? Like that's going to be awesome. It's so much fun to be able to do that. But do you know what happens? You ever seen what happens when kids see campfire? You know what happens? Same thing that, that happens with adults, actually. We just, we're like drawn to it, right? I don't know if you've ever experienced like sitting around a, a campfire ring in, in the dark and everybody, you know, have you ever been there and you're like all talking and laughing and then all of a sudden it just kind of gets quiet and everybody's cool with that? Because you're like looking at it and you just get like mesmerized. Like, man, this, 
Like, I could just stare at this thing, like, for the rest of my life. It's so cool. Like, you know what I'm talking about? So, so but, but what happens with the kids is not only are they drawn to it, but they start to get a little too close to it, and what do you got to tell them? Like, get back, get back. Don't play in the fire. This is, this is an awesome picture of God's holiness here. Tony Marita says this, we are, we are drawn to fire and amazed by fire, but fire is to be taken seriously. And so is God, because he is holy. And God is drawing Moses in, but he's trying to tell him, like, it's interesting that God actually doesn't tell Moses to come any closer. He doesn't. All he says to him is, do not come near. Do you know why? Because Moses doesn't belong in the presence of God. Because God is holy. God's holiness means that that, that he is separated from sin. He is absolutely pure. There is no sin in him. Absolutely. Sinners do not belong in the presence of a holy God. Do not come near. Don't come near God. And the first thing that Moses has to learn as he's being sent out is the seriousness of approaching a holy God. Now think about this. We do, have, have, we, have we lost this sense of the holiness of God? I wonder if sometimes we think about God like he's, um, like he's just a sweet old grandpa who likes to give us candy when we come to visit. Or we treat... Jesus, like he's just one of the boys we can kick back and eat wings and watch some March Madness with. I mean, listen, we need a bigger view of God than that. We can't shrink him down to something that's merely comfortable and lose the breathtaking gravity of being in his presence. We need to recover a, a cautious awareness of his holiness. This is serious. Like I remember when I learned this lesson about the seriousness of fire when I was a kid, I went to camp. And I went to a week-long summer camp, and I'm out uh, in the woods with all of my cabin and my buddies, and we're out playing games by the fire. That's going to go over well, right? And, and so we're out in the middle of the night. Where it's, it's dark. We're having a ton of fun. There's water balloons involved, and we're playing games by the fire. Everything's going great until somebody came running out of the woods and act, accidentally knocked my buddy right into the fire. And I remember just as a little kid, he just fell down and put his hands in the fire and rolled over, and he's, he's burned and he's screaming and like it freaked all of us out and we're like man mom and dad were right this is serious you don't you don't mess with this what what we're learning here is that you are a sinner this is serious you do not belong in the presence of a holy god do not come near is it but we just we just did this morning we, we we came we came we came to worship him Did you think when you came in to worship the Lord together, did you think about the fact that the only way that we can come near to God is through Jesus and because of what he did by dying on the cross for our sins so that our sin is paid so that we could be made right. In fact, Ephesians 2 says that we are brought near by the blood of Christ. There's a seriousness here. and I don't want to lose the sense of God's holiness and, 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 and approach God flippantly without thinking about that. 
says, verse 5, he tells Moses, he says, take your sandals off your feet. For the place in which you are standing is holy ground. It's only holy because it's in God's presence. But he's telling him to remove his, his, his shoes or remove his sandals. That's just a, a sign of reverence and respect. It's the same today, especially in some Eastern cultures. In fact, our, our Kuala Lumpur team that went out uh, to Malaysia, they visited a Chinese temple. And when they went to the Chinese temple, they had to remove their shoes. I remember visiting a mosque in Israel, and before you go in, you got to make sure you take your shoes off. It's just, all we're doing is, I'm, 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 I'm taking this seriously, and I'm trying to show respect here. Now, did you notice that we didn't ask you to take your shoes off when you came into church this morning? Did you notice that? Do you, do you appreciate why not? We don't actually need to follow physical rituals in order to approach God. We don't need to go to a physical building. We can actually go to God in prayer. We can go to him in worship. But that doesn't mean that we approach his holy presence carelessly and out without reflection and, and thought and deep appreciation for what Jesus did to make this possible. That the only reason we can draw near to God is because of him. Have you thanked Jesus and praised him for that today? He says, verse 6, he tells him, I am, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's, he's, he's teaching Moses that while he is holy, he's also relational. and He binds himself to his people in a covenant relationship. I mean, this is some deep, incredible theology. It's way better than any seminary course I ever got. Uh, but he's teaching Moses. But look, look, look at how he responds, verse 6. Look at, look at what Moses did. It said that Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. That, that, that word afraid means he's freaking out. He's scared. He's like, woe is me. Like, I, 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 oh my goodness, I can't look. I am going to die. That's how he feels here. He, he's, it's only later that, that Moses begins to learn to really love the Lord that he's actually going to, uh, Exodus chapter 33, he's going to ask if he can see the glory of God. But right now, he's just kind of terrified. He's freaking out. Here's the, here's the deal. We, because of Jesus, praise God, because of Jesus, we don't need to be scared. We don't need to be horrified. But we do need to learn to fear the Lord because he is holy. And there needs to be a, maintaining a sense of awe and reverence and obedient submission to him. God is holy. How does, that, how does that help us live sent? How do we apply this? Well, think about holiness as motivation then. This ought to give you just a compelling urgency to go tell other sinners that there is a God and they are going to be confronted by this God and this God is holy and they are desperately in need of a Savior. This is serious, right? Does that give you the motivation? God is teaching Moses that he alone is worthy of worship. And then Moses is being sent to go lead God's people out for that very purpose, that they would become worshipers. Watch what happens here, though. When, when you get a proper fear of the Lord, that displaces any fear of man that, that would cause you to shrink back from opportunities and stay silent. 
right? Because we've all been in those moments where, like, you're in, in that conversation, and there's that one moment, like, you see it, you know it, you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, like, you could, you could jump right in. You, you have a choice. You can freeze in fear, or you can look up, keep your eyes on him, and let the vertical focus propel you forward to live sent in that moment and tell them that God is holy, but that they can be made right with a holy God, and they too can become worshipers of him. You can't lose the sense of God's holiness. In fact, there's, um, we're not done yet. I think there's more text that we want to look at here, but this is an intense moment. And I don't think I've ever done this, but I, I wonder, right in the middle of a message, I know this is kind of weird, but I wonder if we shouldn't just stop and pray right then. Like I, I, I don't want our church to miss out on who God is. And, and so right where you don't, we don't need to talk with anybody, but would you just spend a moment, just close your eyes and quiet your heart, get the distractions out of the way, maybe we just let this text, this truth about God. Let God's holiness just kind of sink in. Let him teach you. Let him correct your theology a little bit, cause you to really appreciate what Jesus has done to make it possible for you to be in his presence. Scripture tells us to be still and know that the Lord is God. And I know we're not always comfortable with silence, but sometimes we need to let theology and the truth of who he is just press in on us. And Man, I pray that we get this. I pray that it really, the Spirit is using that to just make you love Jesus all the more. But let me give you a second lesson here. There's a second lesson for living sent while we keep our eyes on the Lord, okay? Uh, note this. Have faith in God's power and presence. Right? Draw your eyes to Him. Remind you of who He is and what He does. Now He's going to talk to Moses again. He says, verse 7, The Lord said, I have, 
I have surely seen the affliction of my people. The Hebrew is kind of interesting there. The, he, it actually repeats the verb to see. Now, so it's, it's like I have seen, but not just I have seen, I have seen seen to try to emphasize it. Like listen, as much as you've seen the ugliness of what's going on in Egypt and, and the pain and the affliction that my people are going through, it's not, it's, it's not just that I think I saw something too. It's for sure I have definitely seen it too, and I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. He's just reiterating God's actions that we saw at the end of chapter 2 here, but, but now check this out. Verse 8, love this. He says, I have come down to deliver them. God is moved by compassion for his people when they're suffering, but it's not just that he cares. He, he also has the power to do something about it. And, and notice the direction here. He says, God comes down to save. And, and obviously that foreshadows, and in nowhere do we see that more clearly than in the ministry of Jesus, right? John 3, you know this, John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says that he is the one who has descended from heaven. Jesus descended from heaven, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came down to save us. And this is just a, a picture of that. But God says, verse 8, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down, I'm going to deliver you, and I'm going to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's like, listen, I know how bad it's been in Egypt. I get it. I'm going to get you out of that place. I'm going to bring you to a new land. And he tells us about this land. He says this land is it's a good land, a good land. That, that, that word is the same word used over and over in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when God is making everything and he's creating the world and after everything, God looks and he saw that it was good. He's like, I'm going to give you that. It's going to be good. And not just a good land, but it's also a, a broad land. Think, think spacious. You can picture the excitement of American settlers as they're moving out west and they come up on, under big open skies and they look out at all the land and this is a place that they can call their own and they can spread out and they can settle down. That's, that's kind of the idea here. And it's a land, he says, that is flowing with, with milk and honey. If you've ever seen Veggie Tales, that sounds sticky, right? It sounds like that's going to be kind of sticky for us. But uh, the Scripture in the Old Testament actually repeats this phrase 20 different times to try to help you understand what the promised land is going to be like. It's going to be a place of abundance and fruitfulness. Notice what's happening is he's promising that there's going to be this incredible reversal of their present suffering. It's going to be so good, you can hardly believe it's true. It's going to be awesome when we get there. And then he tells us, this is kind of interesting, he jumps in in this and says it's also the place of the, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, a whole bunch of ites that are currently living there right now, which actually would have been a powerful encouragement for Joshua and the children of Israel years later as they're about to enter in, about to cross over the Jordan River. Here, God is promising now to bring them out of slavery in Egypt and into the blessings of living in the promised land. And it's important that Moses gets this because as he's being commissioned to go live sent and, and go take uh, this, this mission that he's been given to lead them out, he doesn't forget this. God is the one who does the saving. God's the one who does this work. The question is, do you have faith 
in the power of God to save. I think about this. We, God, is, God is sending you out to make disciples, but, but, but this is kind of a good reminder for us. It is not your job to save anybody. We're, we're just messengers letting them know and pointing to a Savior. And so as you're going out this week and, and you're taking these little invite cards, right, and, and we want you to go and talk to people and bring them here to Easter. We want them to be able to hear, but, but, but not just that. As you're, as you're trying to share the gospel and talk to people, uh, maybe it's in your family or your coworkers, whoever it is, do you, as you're talking to these people, I know your heart is there, you want them to respond, do you believe that God has the power to save them? And are you praying with with confidence and expectation, asking God to do the work as your living sent? But verse 10, notice notice how God is actually going to accomplish all of this. Verse 10, he says, come, I will send you. So now we've got the official commissioning of of Moses. And I love this this word, verse 10. He says, come. That's a command, right? Right? Like a command to try to get Moses moving. Like you, you, you've been waiting around on the backside of the wilderness for too long. Come on, man. Like I've got a, I've got a job for you to do now. And, and here's what he says. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. Don't forget that God had just said that, that, that he's going to be the one who would save them. But now he's helping them understand the plan is that he's going to do it through Moses. Moses hears that. He's like, sweet. Let's do this, God. Like, I'm ready. Let's go. Like, no, that's not how Moses responds at all. In fact, for the next two chapters, you're going to see uh, all of Moses' objections and his excuses. He's like, whoa, whoa, time out. Like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold, hold up, God. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so sure I'd, I like this plan of yours that you've got. So he says, who am I? Like, you, you looking at me? Do you realize who I am? Do you, you realize what I've done? This, this is Moses, no longer the, the self-confident, self-reliant, take-charge leader that we saw in chapter 2. He's ready to just go out, fight the bad guys, and stand for justice, and be the hero. Moses is humbled now. He's like, I can't, I can't go to Pharaoh. I'm, I'm a shepherd. In Genesis, we learned that the the Egyptians actually look down on shepherds. They're an abomination. Like nobody wants that job in Egypt. So why would he listen to a lowly old shepherd? He's like, I can't, I can't, I can't lead the children of Israel. Do you, do you remember what happened when Moses tried to help in chapter two? Remember what the Israelites said to him? They looked at him like, who put you in charge? Who are you? Who do you think you are? Moses has tasted the sting of failure and rejection. So like we kind of get it. He's just wrestling with God's call on his life right now. So his first objection here could be kind of coming out of some genuine humility, but unfortunately, as we see in the rest of chapter 3 and 4, he's really just not trusting in the Lord. Then we get verse 12. I, man, if you can put a star, circle this. This is so awesome. Verse 12, God gives this powerful and encouraging answer, but I will be with you. That changes everything. 
With that one answer, Moses should have all the reassurance that he needs. I mean, that, that promise should have swept all of his fears and excuses away. Remember, he's looking at a bush that's on fire, but's not burning up as a demonstration of the power that this God has over creation. And, and as a lesson that, that this God is holy, he's not like us. And yet, even in his holiness, he, he's a God who binds himself to his people in covenant relationship because he's a loving God. And then he is moved by care and compassion passion and he makes promises to bless them because he's a good God and it's that God that is promising to be with him as he goes he says in fact I'm going to give you a sign that I have sent you the sign is that when I have brought you out of Egypt you shall serve God on this mountain you're going to know it was me because I'm going to bring you back to this very spot and it's on Mount Sinai that God is going to meet with his people problem is that That's a sign, but that's not going to come to fulfillment until the future. So right now, Moses is just going to have to trust the Lord and have faith in his presence. The problem is he doesn't get it yet. He he, he doesn't know that this really, this is all he needs to know is that God is with him. He eventually does get this, and, and, and um, Moses finally learns this lesson. Exodus chapter 33, I've got it for you on the screen. I know that we'll, we'll get to this text months down the road here, but, but I want you to see this, because here's, uh, God comes to him now. This is after he's already led them out into the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 3, here's what the Lord says. He says, my presence, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And at that point, Moses understands and gets the significance of that promise. He's like, man, if, if, if God is with us, we're good. But, but he, he, it's so important to him at this point that he's like, I know, God, you just said that you were going to go. I just need to make sure. Like, I really want to make sure that you, you said that and, I'm, and you're going to follow through on that promise. And so he says back to God, Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Because then Moses knows that the one thing he needs most is that God is with him. He's like, I don't want to take one step without the presence of God. And the same lesson that Moses has to learn here, I think, is the same for us. God is calling us to go, to live sent. I don't know what that looks like for you. I think about the the sphere of influence, the people that you're coming in contact with, whether it's people on the job, people in your family that you love and that don't know Christ, whether it's organizations, opportunities that you have to really jump in and stand for the values of kingdom, whatever that, that is that God is calling you to live sent in that moment. Listen, you don't have to go anywhere without him. In fact, this is part of the Great Commission, isn't it? I got it for you on the screen, but you can, uh, you can open there. Maybe your Bible just kind of falls open to it. This is... Matthew chapter 28, this is the Great Commission. This is what Jesus tells us. Listen to this. I love this. He says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, that's a command. Like, check this out. Don't forget this. I am with you always to the end of the age. Oh, that changes everything. This is why when we're living sent, we've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. 
that we don't lose sight of him. And as you're uh, taking that Easter invite card this week, as you're making that phone call, as you send that text, or you get into that conversation, whatever it is, we're putting our faith in the presence of the Lord. Rest assured you're not alone. Hey, do you want to know if God is with you? Get going on mission for him, and he promises, I will be with you. Lord, I love that. I'm so thankful for that. That's such an encouraging and empowering truth for us to, to think about, that the, this God, this holy God, a holy God, that we do not belong in your presence, but because of Jesus, we can come boldly. We can enter into the throne room of God because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, and we can come when we need help. And Lord, we're confessing that. We're thinking about the ways that you want to send us out. Even over the next few weeks, is, Lord, Lord, this is just a season where people are kind of thinking about these things. They're a little bit more uh, willing to uh, maybe think about coming to church. And, and we want to take advantage of that opportunity to go and to, to invite them to come and to join and to hear the gospel. And Lord, we want to take the opportunities to engage in conversation and, and, and try to help them understand their need for you. But Lord, what an awesome truth that as we go, we're not going alone. That a holy God is going with us. Lord, I thank you so much for impressing this truth on us. I pray that you would really quiet our hearts. I pray that you would help us to have a cautious awareness, a reverence and respect for your holiness and a love and appreciation for Jesus and what you've done and making it possible for us to know you come running in and call you Abba Father have that relationship with you and sending us out so that others might become worshipers and sons and daughters of the King as well so as we go Lord I pray that you empower us and encourage us with this truth that you go with us and it's in Jesus name that we pray